Welcome to There is a Season, the Bob and Gloria Show. This is the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Gloria Shanahan. And if this is your first time visiting our show, well, it's different from just about everything else out there today. And we hope you find it informative, insightful, and inspirational. We've pre-recorded today's show, so we won't be able to take your calls. But we would like your feedback, as always. Please email us at bobandgloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. And thanks to you who stream us from around the country and around the globe online at whio.com or through your favorite streaming and podcast apps. So recently we were talking about COVID again on the program, and while you might hear that term mentioned in today's show, we assure you that we're going to mix things up a bit and visit another area of your life, another topic that affects you and the lives of millions of others. COVID certainly affected this area, or complicated it perhaps, but there have been trends over the last couple of decades which indicate that this area has been far more impacted by things other than COVID. And the topic we're talking about today is one we've actually looked at before, but from some very different angles. It's come up on our show about reclaiming the family dinner hour, and also our digital addiction show. I know it came up on our Sports Mad show some mm-hmm. years back, yeah. and I think we even discussed this once, Bob, when we were talking about housing options and how they had mirrored changes in lifestyle, particularly through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And that topic is leisure, and perhaps more specifically, the idea of play. Now, to some ears, both of these things can seem utterly irrelevant in terms of current challenges. For instance, let's say you're in the middle of a, you know, working a full-time job and you've got extensive caregiving responsibilities, especially for an older person or someone with dementia or another serious disability. The notion of leisure might seem, well, ridiculous. You work all day and much of the evening and then you're lucky to have some TV time maybe and then you crash until the next thing calls for your attention and energy. We get it. We sure do. And Other people might assume that leisure time is something enjoyed mostly by younger people, or perhaps for a time older people, who have more discretionary time. Now when we've done our shows that talk about the boom in select sports, and all the time and money that parents have invested in driving or even flying sometimes to practices and events and extra coaching opportunities, it might seem like we're talking about leisure, but I think most parents might count that as leisure time or extracurricular time for their kids and not directly for themselves. Yeah. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. I know of one guy who used to sleep in his car after driving hundreds of miles while his kid was in the hotel because he, the son, had a sporting event in some other city. That's fine. I think the young man was quite talented. But while that's a terrific commitment on the part of the dad, it wasn't quite what we'd call his leisure time. No, definitely not. Unless, of course, you like sleeping in a car. Uh, Yeah, I mean, maybe it's your thing. (laughs) Now, we recognize there are a lot of families who have made similar commitments to sports, particularly select sports, right, Bob? Mm -hmm. And they haven't really worried about whether they had much leisure time. They counted long hours in the car as family time, a kind of family time that was for that season of their lives. Yeah, yeah, we've known some people like that. And all that said, traditionally in this country, Americans 
were a hard-working but also leisure-seeking bunch. That leisure could have involved going to the movies or dinner or watching a sporting event live in a stadium, or it could have involved regular exercise either alone or with a friend, or something more organized, whether it was checkers or playing golf or getting together for cards or a craft like knitting or whatever. Did you do much of that? You know, <laughs> knitting, Bob? No, no, I can't say I did. But a lot of people used to do it, and not because they had to, but because they wanted to. They enjoyed it. It provided an opportunity to be creative, to express oneself, to socialize, I think that's important, and to maybe get some relief from the work responsibilities of life, a kind of play, if you will. So as historians have pointed out, our lives as a nation, indeed lives over much of the world, could actually entertain the notion of leisure once the hard work of basic sustenance and survival started to recede, you know, particularly after the Industrial Revolution and later after World War II and with the rise of the baby boomers. Well, but today we're going to ask a couple of key questions. One is, how important is play for adults today? And two, how has leisure and play changed specifically in the last couple of decades? We're going to start with the first of those questions. We include some excerpts from an article by Dr. Stuart Brown. He's author of the book Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. In his book and this article, he begins by discussing a dog. The dog, staked near a camp, suddenly spots a polar bear approaching. It's November, and since the sea is not yet frozen... Bears haven't been able to hunt for seals. In other words, this particular bear is starving. The bear continues toward the dog, seemingly sizing up its next meal. But something strange and unexpected happens. The dog, obviously outmatched by a long shot, bows its head and begins wagging its tail. The bear then approaches the dog in a loping manner, and a moment later the two of them are wrestling with each other. An acrobatic dance of sorts commences in the snow, the two softly nipping at each other and pulling on each other's fur. After about 15 minutes, the bear departs, seemingly uplifted by the friendly and playful encounter. After about 15 minutes, the bear departs, seemingly uplifted by the friendly and playful encounter, even if still emaciated and hungry. The bear could have easily devoured the dog to satisfy its pangs of hunger, yet there was another more powerful impulse that it acted on, a desire that was greater than its own survival. It was the desire to play. Play is a common activity among many animals, especially mammals with high cognitive abilities, such as canines, felines, dolphins, primates, and of course, human beings. Playing is built into our very nature. While this may not be a revelatory finding, and even though most of us would admit there is something inherently good and nourishing about playing recreation, Many of our behaviors indicate otherwise. Children today play much less than children did only a few decades ago, mostly because of the heightened importance placed on achievement and the preparation for adulthood. And for adults, play and recreation has given way increasingly to societal pressures to be ever more productive. Now, we may admit that time spent in play and recreation is important, but most of us feel it's also superfluous, perhaps even unessential to our lives. However, it turns out that play, recreation, and leisure are necessary for a full and flourishing life for a host of reasons, beyond the physical and mental benefits, and there are many. They can even draw us closer to God. Now, when we think of play as adults, unless we are referring to participation in an organized sport or performance, we don't normally use the term play. There is a specific type of play that children engage in that adults don't. 
There are certain social and psychological developmental reasons why play is particularly important for children. However, if we widen our definition of play to include what we would consider recreational or leisurely activity, then we see that human beings continue to play their entire lives. In his book, Brown defines play as having the following properties. Apparently purposeless activity, as in done for its own sake, voluntary, inherent attraction, freedom from time, diminished consciousness of self, improvisational potential, and continuation desire. Some of those things really speak to me because when I hear things like freedom from time, you know, what do we always say when, when you're talking about a vacation? When you're on vacation time, the clock sort of becomes irrelevant. You know what I mean? It's uh -huh. just you don't want to yeah. look at a clock. Same thing can happen with play if you're totally in the moment uh, with the play. I'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on. We're reading um, From Why We Need More Play, Recreation and Leisure in Our Lives by Dr. Stuart Brown as we talk about leisure and play today on the program. He continues, with this in mind, much of the activities we do can be seen as play. From playing an instrument, to writing poetry, to watching a movie, to making jokes, to dancing at a party. In fact, the arts themselves, music, film, literature, are a complex and highly developed form of play. This doesn't mean art can't also have other purposes, such as being morally or culturally illuminating, but that at our core we create and engage art because, in some sense, it's fun. We don't need to be told about the value and necessity of work. Yes, work is necessary, and in order to put bread on the table and a roof over our heads, we admit that we must work. It's one of the first questions we ask our children. What do you want to be when you grow up? And while we don't necessarily expect them to have an answer or end up doing what they say they want to be, we're already priming them to think about work. On the other hand, play, recreation, and leisure are seen as ancillary, things we can do without if we had to. However, similar to a lack of play in children, a lack of recreation can have grave consequences for adults. You know, when I read that, I felt kind of sad, too, because I've been in that situation of wanting to say to a young person, you know, you got to get on with your life. You got to figure out what you want to be, how you're going to take care of yourself. And you recognize as a parent, you're letting go the play years. You know, yeah. in a lot and, and of you ways. have to, but, you know, balance, right? It's sad, though. I know. <clears throat> so Max Butterfield, um, a professor of psychology, pointed to the role of recreation in rejuvenating us and calming us down. We often find ourselves very stressed all the time, and so our cortisol levels are way up, he says. This has negative downstream consequences. Increased and prolonged cortisol levels can lead to a lack of sleep, digestive problems, headaches, lack of energy, and even high blood pressure and heart disease. For most people, the only way to de-stress is to have some form of leisure activity, Butterfeld explains, citing that it has been proven that recreation can calm us down and make us more healthy. Without leisure built into our everyday lives, we're always going to be fighting this losing battle against cortisol. Brown comes to a similar conclusion about the health benefits of play writing that many studies have demonstrated that people who continue to play games, who continue to explore and learn throughout life, are not only much less prone to dementia and other neurological problems, but they are also less likely to get heart disease and other afflictions that seem like they have nothing to do with the brain. You're talking about something that you do naturally. You don't have to think when you're a kid. You just do. I mean, there's been, you know, video of poor kids and in poor uh, countries around the world, and they're playing soccer with a rolled up ball of tape. You know, they're finding a way to enjoy themselves. Later on, 
what happens? Our offices, our kitchens become covered in paper as evidence of all the stuff we got to handle, but we don't usually have anything to play with, right? There's no games going on. Right. I mean, it seems like everything is all planned and, and set set out for us to do. Like, have you ever watched your kids open Christmas gifts and you get them this particular gift that they can play with? And what do they want to play with? The box that it came in. <laughs> right. They, they the know how simple, to play. simple, right? We, so need we need to relearn simple. that. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to take a look at one form of play, sports, both organized and loosely put together, way back in the time of the boomers, you know, years ago, how it was different then. Then later, we'll talk about the rise of the eSports generation. Stick around. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7, WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7, WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7, WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We're talking today about the ideas of leisure and play and whether COVID curtailed or altered anything you might call play. And that could include a lot of things. There have been trends over the last couple of decades that indicate that the idea of play has changed for kids and adults in our nation. So I think a lot of people would recognize that how we play has changed over the decades. I mean, does anybody play out in front of the house in the neighborhood anymore? Ride a bike? Around the neighborhood? Yeah, hardly ever. Right? But one boomer has a perspective on this specific idea of play that he relates to a long time ago in the article, Back Then, Sports in the Time of Baby Boomers. The author is Stan Glassifer, and he writes, I swore that I would never use this expression, the words only uttered by an old curmudgeon, but it must be stated. Kids today have it so much better than we did back in the old days. I'm thinking specifically of youth sports programs. Boys and girls today have so many options. There are basketball leagues, baseball leagues, football, soccer, swim teams, gymnastics, hockey, lacrosse, ice skating, skiing, and tennis. There are all sorts of martial arts that children can choose, such as judo, taekwondo, jiu-jitsu, karate, and maybe sudoku? Back then, we did not have all those possibilities. Today's kids improve their eye-hand coordination in front of a TV screen with a control box. We baby boomers learned eye-hand coordination on a baseball field with a fast-moving baseball likely to hit one's head. He goes on to say that when he was young, there were only winter basketball teams sponsored by houses of worship and religious groups. I believe our team's spiritual goal was to make every opposing team feel good about themselves. (laughs) We were extremely (laughs) successful at that, he says. (laughs) Every spring and summer, there was Little League, with each team sponsored by a civic club. For instance, some of the sponsors included the Moose, the Kiwanis, Cosmetolitans, and the Lions. Pity the poor guys underwritten by that women's club. They had to wear uniforms crocheted for them. However, they did have the nicest flower bed by the dugout. (laughs) By the way, there were no Nerf balls or Wiffle balls or aluminum bats back then. And baseballs were hard. Despite what they say, softballs were also very hard when they hit you. We also played sandlot games, thanks to the dads who more or less leveled the field, unless you were out in right field and tried to pick up a ball that bounced into a rabbit hole. Teams were decided by picking each guy. I was usually selected last, something that I should have brought up in therapy. I was also told to play second base when I got bigger. 
I was told to play the pitcher's mound. Regardless of which position you had, everyone's gloves were all the same, the only difference being whose name was on the leather. Oh, you have Dizzy Dean. Innings didn't matter. We always continued to play until our parents called us home for dinner. Certainly, sports were developed by mothers to guarantee that each child would spend the entire day outside of the house. <laughs> Wisdom of moms, right? Yeah. Back then, there was no such game as soccer. I can attest to that. <laughs> we thought <clears throat> that soccer was played by people in faraway countries who were bored by another strange sport called cricket. And worst of all, they had the audacity to call soccer football. Speaking of football, we played that on the same field in the fall after the World Series was finished. My position was called left out. <laughs> At school during recess, we played either kickball or dodgeball. I think that was because only the schools could afford those big inflatable rubber balls. This all sounds too familiar. It really, I, I played. Me the, too. I was in the role of left out many times. <laughs> uh, I played right field when I was seven years old, never caught a ball, never got a hit. I did get hit by a pitch, which was one way of getting on base. I got hit by a softball thrown at me by my father practicing in the front yard. Hit my nose. Oh, my goodness. Yes. See, and it scars you, but you go on for the love of the game. And we're going to talk more about that here and how that love has maybe changed a little bit when we discuss the rise of the eSports athlete. We'll be back with more in moments. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thank you for listening today. So whether you wish for more play or you don't, and assuming you have time or will have time in the future for play, one thing I think you will notice is just how different younger generations now define that term play. This has ramifications for all sorts of things, including physical health, attention spans, the ability to socialize with or serve others face-to-face. -face. It's also affecting the bottom line for a lot of sports organizations. In the article, The E-Sports Generation, first published in the New York Times this past December, it says kids were already drifting away from traditional sports before the pandemic, with ramifications for the entire sports industry. The trend has accelerated in the pandemic. Now in Frisco, Texas, a miniature basketball hoop hangs from the bedroom door. Soccer trophies are prominent on the dresser. Each sport competes for the time and attention of David and Matthew Grimes. But both are losing ground to another staple of adolescence, the video game. David is 13 and Matthew is 11. They are both fledgling e-sports athletes. David thumbs his controllers and listens to strategy talk from a YMCA coach on Monday nights. On Wednesday, he takes on all comers. Matthew has league play on Thursday. At least one week in a month, they compete in a Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Tournament. David and Matthew are part of a surging migration among members of Generation Z, those born between 1997 and 2012. And there are people who are moving away from the basketball courts and soccer fields built for previous generations and toward the Playstations and Xboxes of theirs. 
It's not a zero-sum game. Many children, including the Grimeses, enjoy sports that are both virtual and physical. But it's clear that the rise of eSports has come at the expense of traditional youth sports, with implications for their future and for the way children grow up. eSports got a boost, especially at the grassroots level, during the pandemic. Between at-home learning and the shutdown of youth sports, a high-tech generation found even more escape and engagement on its smartphones and consoles. Participation in youth sports was declining even before COVID-19. In 2018, only 38% of children ages 6 to 12 played team sports on a regular basis, down from 45% in 2008, just one decade, according to a Sports and Fitness Industry Association. In June 2020, the pandemic's early days, 19% of parents with kids in youth sports said their child was not interested in playing sports, according to a survey conducted by the Aspen Institute Sports and Society Program. By September 2021, that figure was 28%. On average, children play less than three years in a sport and quit by age 11, according to the survey. Why? Mostly because it is not fun anymore. The implications are global. There are currently more than 2.4 billion gamers. Is that not stunning? It when is. When I saw that number, I nearly fell out billion, of my chair. Billion. 2.4 billion, Bob. A third of the world. Yeah, about a third of the world's population, according to Statista, an international marketing and consumer data firm based in Germany. There are professional teams around the world that compete in tournaments for prize pools. Are you ready for this? Up to 30 $4 million, as well as tens of thousands of other competitions with prize money or contested in school and recreational leagues, accounting for more than $1 billion in global esports revenues. That's stunning. The effect on traditional sport is just one of the concerns often expressed about this phenomenon. The proliferation of esports conjures images of children eating sugary snacks late into the night as they stare at their screens. Research, however, doesn't fully support this, with a 2019 German study finding only a slight positive correlation between gaming and body mass in adults, but not children. Some youth sports coaches seem to understand the spell video games cast over their players. In 2018, a lacrosse coach in New Jersey, he decided if he could not beat them, he'd join them. He gave a pre-game talk that demonstrated his deep knowledge of Fortnite, and it ricocheted through social media. This is just like Fortnite, just like Battle Royale, he said. 24 teams, and there's four left. You know what? There's four left. We've got Chug Jugs. We've got the Golden Scar. Let's go. This is no different than a Fortnite battle. The waning interest in sports is hardly surprising when 87% of teenagers in the United States have iPhones, according to a survey of 10,000 young people or when 26% of Gen Z youths named video games as their favorite entertainment activity, compared to 10% who chose watching television. There is a lot more stuff competing for the attention of young people, and eSports is a big one, said Dr. Travis Dorsch, Associate Professor and Founding Director of the Families in Sport Lab at Utah State University. He says, as kids get older... There is more tug at them, academically and socially. We're seeing a lot of dropouts. This creates a reckoning for youth sports. The more than $19 billion youth sports industrial complex, with its private coaching, interstate travel, and $350 baseball bats, 
shoulders some of the blame. Ten-month seasons in pursuit of a college scholarship in a single sport can mean that kids get yelled at by overzealous coaches and parents spend thousands of dollars on team sports and travel expenses. We're at an inflection moment of sports in America, says Tom Cove, president and chief executive of the Sports and Fitness Industry Association, which compiles an annual report on participation in sports. While families were at home during the pandemic, they did not have to drive their kids to practices four nights a week, and they liked it. They decided that there must be a better way. The cancellation of games left children all over with time on their hands. Many stated, because of COVID, we started to play video games. Esports lets kids have fun with their friends even when they're not together. Audio headsets allow players to talk or often scream at one another as if they were sitting side by side. I've never heard that. Not in your home? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. It was that a stabbing? <laughs> Anyone who has listened to their sons or daughters competing online has heard at least one side of conversation carried out as effortlessly as the crosstalk between two basketball players on the playground during a game of horse. The hierarchy you usually find in traditional sports is gone. Everyone is just there, said Dorsch, who is one of the lead investigators on the Aspen Institute research. It's more of a meritocracy. He believes that esports have evolved that way because of the absence of adult influence at its introductory stage. You go to a soccer or basketball program and you can tell immediately the six-year-olds who are athletic and have talent, Dorsch said. Their parents see it and think, well, he or she could be really good with better coaching. For kids, that can turn a passion into a pursuit, a costly one for parents. In a 2016 study, Dorsch and his colleagues found many households that spent as much as 10.5% of their gross income annually, sometimes $20,000 or more, on personal trainers, travel costs, and private teams for their children. Then it becomes about the adults in the room, he said, and they want a return on their investment. In April, the YMCA of America launched a national esports pilot in 120 of its U.S. branches. It was an immediate hit in the Dallas, Texas area, where more than 500 middle to high school age children have participated in its programs. We knew how popular the games were, and the fact that tournaments could be held remotely gave us a way to engage with kids during the pandemic, said Rodney Black, who is program director for the YMCA of Metropolitan Dallas. The interest was immediate, and it continues to grow. The plan is to have an on-site gaming lounge in 2022. A gaming lounge. Never <laughs> yeah, heard of such amazing. a thing. It's just the kind of mainstream recognition that has persuaded parents to open the online world for their kids a little wider. You hear the stories about predators and you worry about how addictive these games are, says one mom. Here it's organized and supervised and you don't have to worry about bad language and poor sportsmanship. Kids know that there are professionals who have sponsors and can make millions in tournament play. You can almost hear the youth league football coaches pulling their hair out when kids talk about it. Some say it's safer than other sports. You don't get hurt. You still have to worry about hands because if your hands get messed up, that's a problem because you have to be able to play the game, say many children. Tom Brady says the same thing, but not anymore now that he's retired. He's retired. Yeah. That's right. It would be cool to get paid to play video games, says a lot of these kids. I've heard that phrase many, many times. So that's what's going on now. Totally different than the gentleman we read from just a little before that. 
And I find it, I know it's the reality, but I find it sad, Bob, because these, you know, you're not getting fresh air when you're playing video games and you're not really present to other kids. Yeah, they'll, they'll say they're hanging. They're just hanging out on the headset. It becomes all they know. Still to come, a personal take on play and a special request for this episode anyway, for men 50 and over interested in playing more. That's just ahead. Take notes. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7, WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7, WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. And we've been talking about the idea of leisure and play. And of course, the topic of sports comes up. But we realize there are many other types of leisure or play or non-work. And we'll discuss more of those in an upcoming show. Now, I promised you a personal take on this idea of play. As Gloria knows and can attest from the many times she's seen me limping or Mm. doubled over over the years, I've been guilty of being one of those little boys who never grew up and is perhaps still seeking his glory on the field or the hard court. Would that be fair? Glory? Mm, Yeah. Little boy? Certainly. To such ends, I have been the weekend warrior, or whatever you want to call it, for several decades. Wasn't much of an athlete as a teen, but I started playing intramural basketball in college and then played for 35 years, essentially wrecking my knees. But did I stop? No. I switched to softball, which is where my invitation to play is focused, especially for those males who would like to enjoy some exercise, sunshine, and the camaraderie of a great group of guys. Now, I was not a part of this, but I'm told that back in the days of Delphi and the Inland Plant and Harrison Radiator and many more large manufacturers and other companies in the area, that Dayton was something of a mecca for softball. The police league was legendary from what I've heard. There were hundreds of teams and thousands of players in Southwest Ohio. While those numbers may not uh, still be possible in these leagues, there is room for you to, or someone you know to, come out and play. So get a pencil and paper ready. The league I'm about to tell you about is not the only place to play ball in the spring and summer, but it is a terrific one, and there are leagues for 50 and over, 60 and over, and even 70 and over softball players. I've met guys in their 80s still playing. There are recreational, slow-pitch softball leagues all over the Miami Valley still, but many of them are smaller these days. If you're like me, then dipping your toes into something like that, even if it's been years since you played, or if you've never really played but would like to, well, it's best if it comes as an invitation. So please accept this announcement today as my personal invitation to you to find out more about a league in your area. So we're talking about reasonably competitive slow-pitch leagues for guys 50, 60, and 70 and over. But you're not talking about crazy, testosterone-laden guys for whom winning is everything? I'd be willing to say that for most of these guys, a great deal of the testosterone has already taken the midnight train to Georgia, Gloria. Hmm. And these leagues (laughs) play when it's, you know, sunny after all of this snow has cleared in April, right? Yes, you've done your homework. A lot of these slow-pitch leagues start in April or May, and I'm pleased to say there will not be billions of cicadas this year, or masks, or social distancing, and all that, at least as far as I know. Well, just with those few things there, the cicadas in particular, I could see how you and lots of guys would love to go out and play. 
and we will once again. So here's here's the important part here. Um, and I want you to know, we're talking about guys from every walk of life enjoying the game and enjoying each other's company. Uh, people with varying years of experience and varying backgrounds, and they, they get together and they just have a good time. I'll be mentioning this several times in the next couple of months, as well as some other ways that you can recreate, and for the females too. But here's what you need to know for now. Send an email to either Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com or bypass the middleman and go straight to the source. The email address is cooneyzinksoftball at gmail.com. That's cooneyzinksoftball at gmail.com. Cooney, C-U-N-Y, and Zink, Z-I-N-K, were the founders of these leagues over 30 years ago. The leagues are still going strong, but they'd welcome some new blood. Softball at gmail to find out more and come out and play. And thanks. Well, to all of the little boys and girls out there who are grown men and women, young at heart, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, and it is time for us to go. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step you take. Reach out to someone around you and offer them a kind word or hand. For Bob Wolf, our producers, and everyone who makes this show possible, we thank you for spending some time with us today. You've been listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.